Welcome to Drunk Theory. And I'm lost. What? Yeah, I did that one. Because <laughs> we don't have a topic. All right, tonight we are joined with Mark O'Connell, who uh, is a very special guest of ours. We've been interacting with him on Twitter a little bit, having a good time. So, uh, Kelly, what are we drinking? Uh, we are drinking the Lost in Space Martini. So, what I have done is I have taken mandarin, orange, and put it around the rim of a martini glass, and then dipped it in tang. I have two ounces of citrus vodka, one ounce of triple sec, and it's supposed to be one ounce of tang, but I've got more than that in there. And I put it in a shaker over ice, and I shook it up real good, and strained it out, and it's delicious. I missed the part about adding liquid tang. I just, I have the rim... Oh. I have the tang on the rim, but I didn't put actual tang drink in the in the. Oh, so uh, yours is all alcohol. Yeah, yeah, which is hey, fine. That's, you know, yeah, that's even better. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. Um, my my, I already asked my wife to mix me up a second one, like halfway through. So I'll let her know. I'll let her know that she should add some liquid tang. Boy, how could I miss that? That's dumb. Oh. <laughs> so how is it without the 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 tang? Is it? It's good. Oh. It's good. It's, it's good. Yeah. I mean, so I, that I, it's just what vodka and triple sack or something. It, it's yeah. citrus yeah. vodka and triple sack. And I didn't taste the citrus vodka like by itself. I might do some shots of that later. <laughs> <laughs> I did not know it was citrus vodka. I it thought is. it was just straight vodka, regular unflavored. Yeah. I got, I got, uh, absolute lime. So I have some of that and I have, uh, done shots of that. I bought, Kettle One Citrus, and I also mm. bought Grey Goose Citrus, but this one is uh, the Kettle One. So, okay. Lots I mean? of different combinations. It's all good, whatever it is. Yeah, I'm yeah. Like from that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you went top shelf with that one. Top shelf. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I can tell this is going to be a good hour. All right. Well, so, Mark, thank you so much for coming. Uh, yes. Tell everybody a little bit about you, about where they can find you, or you know, whatever. Yeah, better right. get that out of the way before we get too far off topic. Sure. Well, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a writer and a, a teacher and a producer now. Um, got my first big break back in the '90s, writing a couple episodes for Star Trek: The Next Generation and Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. Um, spent a little time uh, in the aughts. Uh, writing movie screenplays um, and had a few screenplays optioned and uh, put in development. None of them ever got produced, unfortunately. Um, and then uh, about 10 years ago, I started uh, writing a blog about UFOs because it's something I've loved and been interested in all my life. Always been a science fiction freak. Um, and so I started writing this blog called High Strangeness. And um, you start writing a blog, boy. Well, you guys probably deal with this with a with a podcast. You just you need more material all the time, right? 
So, you know, I was always online looking for cool new UFO stories to write about in my blog. And um, I found that there was this place in Chicago where I was living at the time called the Center for UFO Studies, which had been founded by my idol, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. So I, I lived a couple of miles away. So I kind of talked my way into visiting the Center for UFO Studies and just kept going over there whenever I could because they just had this incredible library of UFO literature and Dr. Hynek's professional files and personal files. And I was just having a blast going through this stuff. And finally, on about my third or fourth visit, um, the guy who's the uh, scientific director of, of the center said, hey, Mark, you know, I've, I've read some of your blog. I like your writing. And he said, we've always been looking for somebody to write um, the definitive history of Dr. Hynek's career. And I wonder if you'd be interested. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the guy's kind of my hero. And uh, writing his biography sounds really, really fun. So that's how kind of how this whole thing got started. So I wrote that book, the, Hot, the, the Close Encounters Man, that was published in 2017. And that has slowly morphed into this TV show, UFO Witness, which just premiered on uh, the Travel Channel just two weeks ago, um, which is carried on the Discovery Plus streaming service. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so in addition to that, I also teach screenwriting at DePaul University uh, in Chicago. I'm gonna start doing that, teach a new class in a couple of weeks uh, online. Um, and we're waiting to hear if UFO Witness is gonna get picked up for a second season. All signs are positive so far. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at right now. So that's, that's my, uh, that's my, my bio. Oh, that is so awesome. Yeah, I didn't know there was a UFO place in Chicago. Like, well, just anybody can go in or you have to. Um, if you ask nicely, you can probably go in. If you're a legitimate <laughs> researcher, you can probably get in, and, you know, which I kind of passed myself off as and, it, you know, it worked. Um, you know, part of it is these these folks who the, the folks who are in charge of, of KUFOS, the Center for UFO Studies, you know, this was founded by Dr. Hynek back when he was alive. He founded it in the 1970s. He passed away in 1986. Um, but there's this core group of people who've kept the organization going. They have zero budget. They, you know, they they're not very active in UFO investigation anymore, but they have these incredible archives of UFO reports. And you have, like I said before, you have a literature and Dr. Hynek's papers. Um, so, you know, they, Mark, Mark Rodiger, the scientific director was nice enough to say, well, sh you know, I said, I'm just a couple of miles from you. I'd love to just come in and see what you've got. And he said, well, sure. Why don't you come on over? But, you know, there's this thing where these people who have these, and I've run across this a few times now, th these people who have these huge collections of stuff and it's just sitting there, nobody's using it. They really like... To, they really like it, it when somebody approaches them and says, hey, could I put this material to use? You know, could I use it for something? Could I use it for my blog or my, you know, this TV show? And there's just kind of like, oh, yes, finally, somebody wants to look at this stuff <laughs> yeah. that's been filling up my basement for the last, you know, 30 years. Yeah. In general, people want to show off the interesting things that they've collected over the years. So. Absolutely. So that kind of works in my favor. And it's, you know, and it's, it make it gives you this really strong sense of gratitude. You know, I feel really honored that people let me look through their archives. They, people will tell me about these UFO experiences they've had that they've never talked to anybody about. It's, it's, it's really a privilege um, 
to be, you know, to be given access to that kind of information. Uh, do you still do your blog? Is it still up and running? You know, I was just talking to my wife about that today. I haven't, I haven't blogged since like last May. Um, and partly because I kind of got addicted to Twitter and I just realized <laughs> I can reach more people faster <laughs> with, with. Yeah, I'm addicted to Twitter. Great. too. <laughs> yeah. You can reach so many people so quickly um, that I kind of just put the blog on the back burner for the time being and decided to just sort of, you know, focus on Twitter and see how that worked. And it's, it's been working pretty well. Well, that's how I got connected with you all. So, yeah. so it's good. You know, it's a good place to be. Is your book uh, available on audio book also, or just, just physical? I couldn't find it's, it audio. It's about to be released on audiobook. Okay. Right now you can get it as a paperback or, uh, or an ebook on mm -hmm. Amazon. Um, but the, I've been, I've been hoping and hoping we would get it, uh, issued as a, uh, an audiobook, And that just, that just sort of came together about a month ago. So, um, I've met the voiceover guy who's going to do the reading. Uh, we just talked on the phone last week and I think he's got a great voice. I think it's going to go really well. That's, that's good. That yeah, makes a it was, difference. Yeah. It was kind of, it was kind of interesting though, cause he contacted me and said, well, Mark, I've read the book. And there are a bunch of things that I don't know how to pronounce. So I'm going to need your help. <laughs> so, and you know, it's things like, um, it's things like, well, just something as simple as KUFOS, the Center for UFO Studies. Oh, yeah. he's, like, he's like, you know, do I just say KUFOS or C-U-F-O-S or, you know, so he sent me this long list of like acronyms and people's names and stuff that he needed help pronouncing. So, so that's where that is. He's going he's gonna to be recording that sometime, I think he said, in early March. So hopefully by summer, the audiobook will be available. Oh, good. I'm excited about that. So I, I read your book, and after, like, chapter two, I texted Kara, and I said, oh, my God, has he ever listened to our show? Because it's really smart, and it's really well written. And, and, <laughs> and no, what we do is upset. not. <laughs> and I said, what we do is not. <laughs> you know? He said, we're way too dumb for this guy. Does he know what we do? <laughs> <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed it. And oh, thanks. Yeah, there, there were there were several parts of it that I loved. Um, one of the things that was like my favorite thing ever is the whole interaction between Carl Sagan and Hynek. Like how Carl Sagan is. They're they're both kind of you know UFO guys. They both well they don't really both believe in UFOs, but they both believe kind of in extraterrestrials. Yeah. But Carl Sagan is like. They might have been here, you know, a million years ago, and they might be here, you know, a million years from now, but they're not coming to Earth in 1973. Yeah, and, yeah, and, it, you know, and it's stupid to think that they would be. Well, why right. is that stupid? It's no more stupid than what you're saying. Right. Yeah, I, I love that. And so, some people have told me that I maybe went a little hard on Carl Sagan that my bias was showing, which, you know, I confess it's true. If I, if I were to go back and do a re-edit on the book, I'd probably tone down the Sagan stuff a little, but, no, you know, it was fabulous. It was ev so every awesome. story needs a bad guy, right? Yeah. So, so Carl Sagan, Carl Sagan was kind of my bad guy in the story. I did not read the book because, you know, I told you I don't read. I did try to find it on audio. I was going to listen at work, but I didn't have it. So okay, I, well. I don't know who Carl Sagan is. Why is he the bad guy? So he's kind of, yeah. I guess, against... Heineck, and he doesn't think that any money should be going into UFO research. He thinks that all the money should go into his research, and he is looking for, he's also looking for extraterrestrial life, but he just doesn't want the money to go to yeah. 
to Hynek's group, but it's so funny the way he writes it because it's like uh, Sagan will flip his hair. (laughs) 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 He was a very mod kind of guy. Yeah, and you can kind of see it and and it's so fabulous and I loved it. But um, (laughs) Carl Sagan is the SETI guy. Yeah. Which my mama would oh, love. Yeah. <laughs> yes, my mom does SETI. I, yes. used to, mm. I used to do. I used to do it when I had a decent video card because. Just, you mean on your screensaver? Uh, yeah, it's been a long time, but just I, I used to run that and uh, a folding program to help uh, uh, cancer research a long time ago. Uh-huh. They finally found what they were looking for, so I stopped doing that. Oh, okay. I lost interest in SETI. I don't know. I used to do that, but but Carl Sagan, just to flesh that character out a little more, he's he was a really famous in the 1980s, I think it was the 1980s, he did this public public broadcast, a public TV show called Cosmos, and they just did a remake of it with Neil deGrasse Tyson a couple of years ago, but yeah. Carl Sagan did it the first time, um, and, and Cosmos is a great show, I've always been a huge fan of Sagan, uh, so it kind of was a shock to me when I started doing this research and discovered what a I'm sorry, what a dick he could be. <laughs> it was like, because <laughs> I'm looking through, so I'm at Kufos, which is in the basement of Mark Rodiger's house in Chicago. And I'm looking through these files with, with J. Allen Hynek's, you know, personal and professional files. And there's a file envelope labeled Sagan. So of course, you know, I go right to that and I want to read what's in there right away. And um, Right in the top of this folder, there's a letter, a copy of a letter that Dr. Hynek had written to Sagan um, around 1980, I believe it was. They were scheduled to have a live debate about extraterrestrial life at this futurism conference in Chicago. Okay, so this letter I find, and Hynek and Sagan had worked together. I mean, they were professional colleagues. They knew of each other. They had a very cordial relationship as scientists. Um, but Heineck has written this letter to Carl Sagan saying, hey, about this thing we're doing in Chicago in a couple of weeks, could we just kind of sign a truce? Could we kind of have a, 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 a truce? Could, could we just sort of, you know, agree not to like go after each other on the UFO thing just for this once? And there was, an, I couldn't find a response letter from, from Sagan. <laughs> So I was really curious to find out how that had all turned out. And after lots and lots of digging and research, I finally found a transcription, actually an article that somebody had written about this debate. And Sagan was just a complete jerk to Hynek throughout yeah. this whole debate. He was, he was condescending and insulting and, you know, and, and Hynek would say, well, you know, you, you know, Heineck would say, well, you know, we have all these cases that we have all these case reports. It's, you know, the sheer volume of it is convincing. And Sagan says, yeah, well, you know, none of them are good reports. Well, that was Sagan's little trick. He was like, I'll take it seriously when you can show me a good report. But then he got to decide what was a good report, you know. So it, it was, he, he was just a problem. That's all. He yeah. was just a problem. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Is there video of this debate anywhere? I would love to see that. <laughs> Not that I can find, but there's a video I'd love even more to find because they did a, they did a talk show together on primetime TV back in 1973. It was this show called the Dick Cavett show. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> and they, they did an episode in Oct- October, November, 1973, right after the Pascagoula abduction and right after the coin copter case. So, so on stage on live national TV, primetime TV, you've got J. Allen Hynek, you've got Carl Sagan, 
you've got the captain of the helicopter crew that had just had this wild UFO incident two weeks earlier. And you've got uh, Charlie Hickson, who was one of the Pascagoula UFO abductees just a couple of weeks earlier than that. And all these people are on stage together. And Carl Sagan just is like, boo, 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 taking pot shots at all of them. And that video I would love to find. But yes. I, f I found out who owns the rights to that old show, that old talk show. And I contacted them. And I asked for this specific program, you know, do, do you have a transcript or a copy that you could provide me with? And the, the, the producer wrote back and said, oh, so sorry, that, that tape's been lost. Oh, we don't know. Can you believe, I don't believe it. I don't I believe it's guarantee lost. you Somebody we can find someone <laughs> who has recorded it. I remember reading about Ooh. a lady in New York who came into some money in the 70s, bought a uh, video recorder, the very first VCR you could, and literally recorded 24 hours a day oh, yeah. for almost 20-something years straight. So there's, wow. there's people out there that I guarantee you someone <laughs> has a crappy or some kind of copy. I need to see it. I, I yeah, will no. do research because I want to see it. I imagine that would get very expensive right. if you Dick, just recorded Dick, everything around the clock. like Maury Povich, but better. Like, he was just, <laughs> yeah, just... Uh, I would so love to see that video on there. That's, that's what I like about his show. <laughs> but yeah, but Carl Sagan, the, the, the really jerky thing about him was that he would say, yes, I believe aliens visited a million years ago, but I don't think they're coming now. It's like, what do you base that on? Well, you've got, you've got nothing whole, to base that on. If that's his whole thing that he just believes in them, but they're not coming and we don't need to worry about them, then why does he need money for research or anything? It's just like, you, <laughs> apparently yeah, you know well. they're there and you're telling us they're there, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. So. Uh -huh. yeah, and he and he was behind that. I can't remember which which spaceship it was, Voyager or Pioneer. I think it was Voyager, one of the ones that we shot out of the solar system, and they put that solid gold record album on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Carl, Carl Voyager, Sagan yeah, put that record like, album together. Music. He's the guy who put together, and, you know, and that's literally, that's a message from us to alien species well, out there. Carl the Sagan did that whole recording. What? So he believes in UF. He believes in aliens. Yeah, he wants to talk to him. He wants to communicate with him, but he just doesn't think they're coming to Earth in 1973 because Earth sucks in 1973. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> like him talking. There's some binary stuff. Oh, of, so it's like, not like it's yeah. not just it's the not like the top 40 of the no, it's, it's, like, it's a bunch of science stuff, and then Carl Sagan talking because he was famous at the time, basically. So he thinks that they speak English. <laughs> or they well at least he thinks they understand math <laughs> yeah which i hope they do yeah lord <laughs> so well, don't let us get sidetracked do you have anything in particular okay. you would like to talk about before we get too drunk and go off on a tangent <laughs> I'm, I'm just taking my cues from you, you how know? did you end up with this show how did you end up doing the ufo witness show uh well when my book came out uh, in 2017, there was kind of a flurry of activity. We had a couple film producers curious about maybe buying the film rights to the book and a couple TV producers also interested. Um, and none of those, none of those came about, but there was this one company that they were interested before the book came out and they were still interested after the book came out. And what I kind of, after the book came out, I would go through my files and just realize there is a ton of material that didn't make it into the book. Um, because, you know, we had to cut it for size and word count. And so I had to, you know, I had to take some stuff out of the book that I, I, I was really excited about. So I just approached this production company in New York and, and said, look, I know you guys are still interested in doing something on this topic. 
well, how about we base a show on like all my unused files? They're like the secret files that, you know, didn't come to light. So none of the stuff in the show is in the book? Well, a lot of it, no, a lot of it, a lot of the stuff in the show is in the book. But this it's is the, but, so much but, yeah. but like like for instance, I had written for the book, I'd written a whole story about the Kelly Hopkinsville little green men invasion. And, <laughs> and in the end, episode. I had to cut that I had to cut that whole thing out of the book because Heineck was never really directly involved in it. So but we did a whole episode of the show on that. So um, but but how it got started basically was me going to these producers and saying, hey, I've got a ton of material. Uh, you know, really great stories to tell. What do you think? And so we started talking and over, it took a long time for it to come together, but we ended up with this formula that we're using in the show now where we've got, we look at a kind of a contemporary UFO report and then compare it with um, a historic UFO case just to kind of try to see if there are any similarities, any patterns between the two. I don't know if we're always totally successful with that, but that's what we're trying to do with the show. Yeah, we've started we've started watching the show and and it's good. And I love that you have um is it Jenny Jenny Zedman? Jenny Zeidman. Uh, Zeidman, yeah, on the on the show. And uh she was, you know, you mentioned her a lot in the book as well. And you know, she worked with Heineck and everything, and I thought it was neat that she got to be on that show too. But, oh, is she the one you posted a picture or something on Facebook with yeah. her? Okay. Yeah. yeah, she she's great and she she passed away last last spring. Oh. Uh, sad to say, yeah, and we had hoped to do a couple more interviews with her, so we we were robbed of that opportunity, which is which is really too bad. But I'm really grateful for the time we did get to talk to her. The way she got involved is also kind of a fun story. I, when I started researching the book again, looking through these files in this basement in Chicago, I came across this huge binder full of letters between Alan Hynek and this woman Jenny Zeidman, and. I started reading the letters and, and I realized that, um, so she was a woman who had started out, she had been a student of Dr. Hynek at, at the Ohio State University where he taught astronomy. And she had taken like astronomy 101 because she needed a science elective, you know, to get her fine arts degree. So, um, so she took Hynek's astronomy class and she kind of stood out as kind of a pretty a, a pretty brilliant student. What happened was they had gone, Heineck had taken the class to the observatory on campus one night just to stargaze through the telescope. And they saw these really weird lights in the sky that night. They couldn't figure out what the hell they were. So they had literally saw a UFO. Well, Jenny went home. It turns out she was getting her pilot's license. So she knew all about what was going on in the sky, especially around in that, in that area in Ohio. And she comes back to class the next the next time, and she says, "Hey, I figured out what we saw. That was an that was a military aerial refueling procedure. So it was two planes, you know, like butted up together. So it didn't look like a regular airplane, and it had everybody fooled. Well, so Jenny comes up with this as class, and Heineck is like, "You get an A." <laughs> so he hired her as his like teaching assistant, and then she became his research assistant. And um, eventually he started sharing, you know, at this point he was getting blue book files dropped off at his office regularly for him to go over and analyze. So he started getting Jenny's help with going over these UFO files. So eventually she actually got a clearance, a, a, um, a secret security clearance. She wasn't top secret. She was like the level below top secret um, so that she could handle these uh, project blue book files. So she was a re really interesting person. So I'm looking through these letters 
and it was real obvious that they they both shared this really intense curiosity about UFOs, but they were also just really great buddies. They just had a really great, fun relationship. Um, so she was the first person I wanted to interview for the book. So I tracked her down in Columbus, Ohio, called her up, you know, introduced myself, told her about this book I was writing. And I said, you know, I'd really love to be able to interview you about your working with Dr. Hynek. And she said, well, you know, I've written a lot about that and it's, you can find it online here, here and here. And she said, you know, feel free to use any of that. And I said, well, that's great. Thank you. But I'd still love to interview you, you know, just to find out where, what you think about all this stuff now, 30 years later. And she hung up on me. Just <laughs> click buzz. <laughs> I was like, oh, what do I do now? So I was almost, you know, I was almost about to call her right back up and say, you know, give me another chance, please. But then I just thought, well, you know, some people just want to leave, leave the past in the past. So I just decided to let it go. And I did look up her, some of the articles she had written, and I was able to use some quotes from those in, in the book. Um, but then after the book was published, I got a message from Jenny's son saying, hey, could I get your contact info? My mom, my mom would like to talk to you about your book. And I, I was scared to death. I thought she was just going to hate the book, you know, just because of hanging up on me. I just didn't know what to think. So we, he, so he puts us in touch and I, and I get this really nice email. She just wrote and said, congratulations, Mark. You wrote Alan exactly as I remembered him, which That's was, wonderful. you know, the, the best book review ever. And then she wrote to me two weeks later and said, well, Mark, I just read the book again. And for the second time I ended up in tears. So, so Jenny and I became pen pals, <laughs> which is really <laughs> awesome. So we started exchanging letters and, you know, and she's just, she's just a really, she was a really, really sweet person. So when the, sh when the TV show started to come together, it was about the time um, that History Channel started promoting their Project Blue Book series. Um, and I was not happy about that show. Anybody who reads my blog knows I was pretty pissed off because they were just making up the whole story. Oh, wow. And I just thought the real story is so interesting. Why would you make up a new story? But whatever, that's, that's what they did. So I sent, the, I sent the trailer to that TV show to Jenny and I said, look what they're doing. And she was furious. She was so upset about that. And I said, look, we're, do, we're trying to get this TV show put together. If, we, if you would be willing to go on camera, this would be your chance to tell the real story of Project Blue Book, you know? So people don't just think that what they see in this other show is real. And she was real nervous and shy about it, but she finally agreed to do it. And the funny thing is, so she, right up until we got on camera, she's telling me, Mark, you know, you're gonna hate this. I'm gonna be terrible. I'm really shy. You know, I don't really have anything interesting to say. And then we get her on camera and boom, she's got so, you know, she's just like starts <laughs> talking. Yeah. All of a sudden she's just telling us all these crazy, incredible stories. So that that's the whole Jenny story. So I'm, I'm thrilled that for me, that's the best part of this new TV show is that we got Jenny, like she was the last living U-Book investigator or Blue Book mm -hmm. investigator. And we got her on camera to share some of her secrets. It wasn't enough, but it's way better than nothing. Yeah. Now so I'm going to have to watch it. Where is it? Kelly, where are you watching it at? Because we don't have TV. Discovery Plus. So Discovery. we signed up for Discovery Plus and it's on there. And I haven't got to play with that yet a whole lot. We've just watched his show on there, but 
apparently it's got like all the investigation discovery stuff on there and like all the true crime and oh what that. yeah true no crime. i'm gonna do that man. cooking yeah. home home stuff <laughs> cooking yeah, yeah it's got everything yeah that'll be cool so mark do you have a favorite case like what is the ufo case that made you go oh you know they're out there they're real mm-hmm. you know is is there well, one in particular i was totally hooked on ufo stuff since i was a little kid but it was when i was 13 years old that was 1973 and the pascagoula abduction case happened and that that's that became a national news story and it was on the TV news. It was on the radio news. It was in the newspaper. So for me, that was the first time, like, I was experiencing a UFO event in real, in real time. You know, I had, I, had been, I had read dozens and dozens of UFO books over the years. But, you know, that's, those are books. That's all stuff that happened in the past. All of a sudden, here's this spectacular abduction case that took place, you know, in Mississippi, right, you know, right in a part of the world that I understand. And these two guys are telling their story and their story's holding up. Nobody's able to punch any holes in their story. And that was the one that really kind of lit the flame for me because I was like, oh man, this is real. These are, these are real people. And this is something that really happened to these people. And And everybody's reading about it. It was, that was, that was the one that really got me hooked. What do you think of the Travis Walton case? The one they made the movie of Fire in the Sky? I just I happened just I just recently watched it not knowing we were doing this episode. Yeah, uh, okay. I, I didn't even know what the episode was about. I had to work today. Like I just, uh-huh. I just got off work, got home, started drinking, and was like, "Hey, let's do a show." But I just watched it the other day, and it seems like it, it could have been fishy. Like they could have been doing it just for attention, but then it seems like they didn't want the attention afterwards. So I don't know. I don't know what to believe. But I just wondering what you because you've seen so much over the years. I'm kind of in the same boat as you, to be honest. It's a really, it's a really interesting case, but it's got a lot, of, it's got a lot of weaknesses. It does, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and I'll tell you one thing, and this is one of the things I, I mentioned in the book is that um, Dr. Heineck was able to sit in on a hypnosis session with Travis Walton. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and that. the thing is, and I don't know a whole lot about hypnosis. I only know what I've <laughs> basically, you know, learned in my UFO research, but. Um, the point that Dr. Heineck made was that usually when, usually when an experiencer um, recounts their, their event under hypnosis, they add more information that they weren't able to um, give uh, normally, you know, just normally before they were hypnotized, okay? I'm not saying this right, but... Um, it's like subconscious information. You, yeah. you right. So, like, so right. yeah. So like Barney and Betty Hill. Well, there's the report they gave, you know, initially, and then they went under hypnosis and they gave a completely different, you know, they just un, un, unearthed so much more detail. So, so Heineck's problem with Travis Walton was that he didn't reveal anything more under hypnosis than he would have just under regular consciousness. So Heineck, it's not to say that, you know, there was something wrong with that, but it just, Heineck found it less than convincing. Yeah. Because he didn't get what he expected out of, out of listening to Walton's. Or maybe um, that guy told everything there was to tell to begin with. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) I know the the movie's kind of disappointing. You have to read about the whole story too, though, really. Yeah. Yeah. You got to know the whole story, you know, and, and, and another thing that Heineck had issue with was the fact that at the beginning of the case, 
it's a multiple witness case, right? Because you got Walton, all of Walton's um, uh, lumberjack crew in their <clears> truck. Six of them or so, yeah. Yeah, and they're all seeing this object hovering, you know, above the ground right off the roadway. So it starts out as a multiple witness case, which is great. But then Walton, you know, supposedly gets zapped up into this spaceship. And then it becomes a, a single witness case, which Heineck is like, yeah. That's really hard for me to deal with because you got no corroboration. You're just so going with. Else just change their mind. They, they were like, they, nah. as, as soon as as soon as they saw him get zapped or attacked by the light, they said they drove away thinking they were going to get hurt and yeah. came back and he was gone. That's oh. then yeah. So then the story becomes all of a sudden. Well, the, all these other guys are like dealing with guilt. And like, holy shit, we abandoned our friend when he was in trouble. Yeah. And, you know, and all of a sudden they're like having to tell this story in public and they're, you know, they're all feeling kind of ashamed. See, that's, of, that's what makes me think it might be real, but still <laughs> maybe they thought it would eventually lead to some huge payout and it just didn't pan yeah. out. But yeah. I, don't. I think that I think we have to agree the jury's out still yeah. on that one. Um, well, I have a question. What is the most recent alien abduction story? How long has it been since mm. somebody has said? I mean, it's been years, right? Like, um, yeah. I tell you though, I I um I spent about five years as a as a um, UFO investigator for Mufon, the mutual she UFO talks network. About Mufon. That's my aunt. She talks about Mufon. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> well, I so I spent about five years as an investigator for them, and and you know they would whenever there were, and this is when I was living in Wisconsin. And, you know, I would get case reports assigned to me by our Wisconsin director. And several times I talked to people who, um, who said that they had been abducted. And in some cases it was like multiple abductions. In some cases it was just one. In some cases it was like, well, I think maybe I was abducted, but I also might've been a dream and I can't tell the difference. A lot of people kind of experience things that way. So, so I've been personally, you know, in contact with people like within the last five, 10 years. What about on the news though? Cause you know, I used to like, it would be uh, on the news. If yeah. Some redneck says they got sucked up, but I feel <laughs> like that stopped in like the eighties, didn't it? Uh, yeah. You know, I think it, I think we actually reached a point where like abduction cases were kind of like old news. Like, yeah, well, another one of those. Well, so do once, you think once Close Encounters from the Third Kind came out? It seems like it died out once that movie came out. I don't remember more a big reports after that. Well, my question was, um, like, I guess seventies or eighties was the last time they did it on the news or whatever. Uh -huh. Do you think that they just quit coming? You think the aliens were like, because the eighties is when we started doing coke real bad, right? So were the eighties? <laughs> no, man, we gotta get the fuck out of here. Or is it just that nobody's coming forward because you'll look like a nut? So, or if you do come forward, nobody cares. No, people are coming forward. I think, you know, you've got people like, um, I think this is probably, you know, you're asking about current stuff and I automatically go back to like the, the 90s and the 80s. But you've got people like John Mack and, um, oh, what's the other guy? A couple of really prominent researchers who really started to devote themselves to abduction stories. Um, Dave Jacobs uh, did a lot of that stuff. Dave J Jacobs got into some some trouble with that because he was accused of being 
unprofessional with his hypnotism subjects. But that's a whole other story. Oh. To go into. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a whole other story to go into. And it's a whole lot of he said, she said. So nobody really, really knows the truth. But um, but yeah, abduction, you know, pe people like abduction cases are hard. People kind of just get scared of abduction cases sometimes and just want to stay away. Well, you know, I, that's, if I got abducted, I don't think I would run to the news. Uh, oh, I would probably you know, run to Twitter. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You just sort of jogged something in my memory, though. Here's the best case I can tell you for the most recent abduction cases. And those are the cases reported by Whitley, by the author Whitley Strieber in his book Communion and a whole lot of books after that. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but no. um, so Whitley Strieber, really famous, like horror and science fiction author. OK, Um he did things like The Hunger and, uh, of course, I'm now drawing a blank on some of them. But he, um, he and his family had a cabin in upstate New York. And they would spend a lot of time there. And Whitley started experiencing um, alien presences outside of his cabin and inside of his cabin. Um, and these things, these aliens, and they're, they're what, what people now, now call the alien grays, those short little guys with gray skin and the big like black almond shaped eyes. So those, those beings, those creatures, according to Whitley, would start like appearing in his house. And it's real hard to understand what they're up to. If, you're, if, you, if you read all of Whitley's books, you just end up scratching your head like, what were the aliens even after? It's like, it's like they just wanted to, to fuck with this guy's head, it, which they did, like, to an amazing degree. They were little assholes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope it's okay from, you know, I mean, you can edit out the F word, whatever. Oh, no, um, no. Uh, we don't edit okay. All right, good. We're cool. Clearly, you have um, not listened to many of our episodes. <laughs> I need to listen to more, That's I guess. That's fucking crazy. That's so, crazy. yeah, so this is, like, in the 80s. So, so Whitley read, mm -hmm. writes this book, Communion which I read and I loved. It's a really, really scary book because, you know, the guy's a writer. He can really tell a good story. And he's telling this story about aliens invading his house and like endangering his kid. And it's, it's, the books are just spellbinding. And then he ended up writing a whole series of them. Did he because, release those books as fiction or is it supposed to, he released them as true books? True books. Okay. Nonfiction. True books, yeah. Yeah. Nonfiction. <laughs> And so it's called I'm communion. So the aliens are Roger from American Dad. They just kind of hang around and fuck with you. That's weird as hell. Kind of, yeah. And I want to read it so badly. I'm gonna have to. You've got to. You got it right now. Like these that? these books, they're really awesome books. I mean, as time goes on, <laughs> they get to be. It sort of stops becoming so much about the alien activity and more about like Whitley trying to make sense of it all and trying to, you know, find yeah, some think. meaning in it, which I actually think that's kind of a cool approach to the UFO phenomenon is like trying to figure out, instead of trying to figure out what it is or where they come from, trying to figure out what it means to it's me like seems like a really cool way to approach the phenomenon. And, and that's a lot of what Whitley does is just really trying, and it's really soul searching because this is like deep personal experience for him. And it even becomes sexual at one point, weirdly enough. Um, yeah, I'm not even going to go into that. But he spends a lot of time trying to figure out what it all means, which to me is like totally fascinating. Okay, so we talked about, you know, you just called them the, the gray men or whatever. Mm -hmm. What do you think aliens look like? Oh, 
Um, that's, that's a good question. Well, usually it is a really good question. And I usually immediately flash to the aliens from the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. For me, that's like, that's the kind of alien that really... Which I like, have seen that movie and I'm blanking on what the hell that's like. my... Well, there are a couple different versions of the aliens in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but most of them are these short little guys, maybe four feet tall, kind of creamy complexions. It's like the alien greys. They have the big, the big like almond shaped dark eyes, um, a little like slits for mouths and, and nostrils. That's what I think of when I think of aliens. My, my, my image is totally shaped by that movie. <laughs> My favorite thing, like in the book, like my favorite story was the guy that said that he, he encountered the aliens that looked like Italians and then they gave him pancakes <laughs> <laughs> and they had the pancakes tested. Yeah, yeah. And Heineck actually had the pancakes tested, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I have, I kind of, I personally like that case because it took place in Wisconsin and I'm a Wisconsin native. But yeah, yeah I thought that one was great. Joe Simonton, he looks out his back window one day and he sees a flying saucer coming down in his backyard. And instead of freaking out about it, he just goes out into his yard and is like, hey, dudes, what's up? I like and, to think that I would be that way. Like if a spaceship landed, I would go out and I would probably take something with me and be like, hey, look, I've got bacon. I think, yes, that, I, I agree totally. I wouldn't Everybody loves on. bacon. Like, oh. I agree totally. There's another story. I read this a long time ago, and I've never been able to find it again. I think mm -hmm. it might be James McDonald wrote something about this, something he called the orange soda pop factor. Somebody had had an encounter with an alien, and during the conversation, the alien said, you know, I'm kind of thirsty. Do you have something to drink? And the witness went inside, and all he had in his fridge was orange soda. So he gave the alien an orange soda pop, and then they continue their conversation. And, and the guy who wrote this story was like, I find this very convincing because why would this guy make up something so incredibly stupid as orange soda pop? It must be true. And I kind of feel like, yeah, he's got a point. That does kind of make it believable. He could have said Pepsi and made a bunch of money off of it. Oh, yeah, I know. Orange soda, not even, a, yeah, exactly. I never even thought of that. How much do y'all love it that M&M's turned down fucking E.T. so Reese's Pieces made all that money? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not, a, I'm not, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'm, oh boy, that's quite a question. You kind of hit me off guard there. That's funny though. <laughs> so like, as far as what aliens look like, we've covered that in one of our other topics with the Chupacabra, mm. where when people see things or report that they saw things, usually they're influenced by a movie that they just saw or a show uh, they just saw. Yeah. And so their sightings kind of match the image that they saw in that movie. So, uh, you know, we had a lot of people that reported Chupacabra and they would describe a, an animal that they saw in a movie or something. Uh, yeah, I can totally see that. I think, I think a lot of that kind of transference goes on. There's a, a case of that that I mentioned in my book where, so Barney and Betty Hill, who are like the most famous UFO abductees of all time, their, their experience happened in like 1962. Um, and, and one of the people who tried to, tried to like knock down their story and prove them false, pointed out that there was an episode of the old science fiction show, The Outer Limits, that the week before the hills were abducted, there was an alien in an episode of The Outer Limits that this critic says, that's what, that's what Betty and Barney Hill, they were just imagining. They were just remembering this alien from this TV show and they imagined the whole thing. 
But if you look at their pictures of the aliens who kidnapped them, and you look at the alien in the episode of Outer Limits, it's like they don't look anything like each other. Well, but so then there's also the thing, you know, where like if you see something that you can't recognize, mm-hmm. your brain just fills it in. Yeah, totally. So maybe aliens are just some wild ass fucking shit that our brains can't process. Well, <laughs> we see just the last thing that's kind yeah. of like we y'all, know it's an aliens what's the last alien i saw <laughs> y'all may not believe in it but if you've ever read the bible an actual description of an angel is fucking crazy oh, yeah. just a bunch of swirling <laughs> eyes with feathers and a bunch of crazy shit and that's why it says don't be afraid because it looks <laughs> like a big fucking crazy eyeball <laughs> like really they look the description creepy you guys, there's maybe there's there's a TV commercial right now. My wife and I just saw it on TV last night, and I pointed I it about. up. It's for Vicks Nyquil what? that makes you sleep better when you have a cold. And they show this woman like sleeping peacefully in bed, and there's this huge owl perched outside her bedroom window. And I saw that, and I was like, "Honey, that's the that's an alien, a owl looking in your bedroom window." <laughs> That is an alien. That's what every everybody's brain translates it into. Oh, it was just an owl. No, it wasn't an owl. You had an alien looking in your bedroom window. Come on. And Vix now, so Vix now has this medicine that apparent, apparently is going to, I don't know, make you see aliens outside your window. Well, it's pretty weird. Let me go get some of that. I think the drink is, I think the drink is taking effect here. My wife just peeked in to see if I need a refill. And I'm actually still. Well, I made a double to begin with, so I'm only halfway through. I have done like six shots since we started. I'm ahead of all of y'all. <laughs> this, yeah. is the be- this is the only way to do an interview. Right? Absolutely. I'm concerned. I'm, a, I'm about to bust out my secret hidden bottle of Patron and do a couple oh. shots. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a little bit off topic. I do have a question to you, though, sure. about... The episodes that you wrote of like Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. I don't understand how that works. Okay, because like when you wrote the episodes, did they tell you this is what we want to happen in this episode, and you write the dialogue and whatnot? Because you know you wrote one episode here and there. Surely they already had the story planned out. Like, is there an overarching how plot does, or what just do they whatever? Tell you, or did you just did you write all of that? <laughs> and then, um, my answer is my answer literally is all of the above. Um, so putting together a TV script is this really crazy process, but I mean, I can give you, I can just sort of walk you through how it happened with me. So um, I just signed with a new agent, and my agent said, "Hey, uh, the people at this show, Star Trek: The Next Generation, are always looking for outside writers. I think you should write." A spec script for next generation. Well, a spec Dude, script that means speculation. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine is the only one I knew about. I didn't. I know you well, I, I didn't know you were so, next generation. I love. Sorry. I no, love it's okay. No, no, that's fine. Um, so she said, "Hey, you know, they're looking for new writers. They're out, they're willing to look at scripts from you know people who haven't sold anything yet." So I wrote a script for Next Generation. We submitted it a few months later. Um, we got word from them. They said, "Hey, that you know, your script." We liked your script. Um, we'd like you to come in and pitch some story ideas. And what really surprised me was when they said they liked my spec script, it wasn't because of the cool science fiction idea. It wasn't because of like the wild science fiction images. It was because they said, you got the characters' voices right. 
and that's what they liked about it. So seriously, that's that's what got me in the door at Star Trek was I got the characters' voices right. So like the people acted like the people would act. Basically. Did you yeah. already okay. watch the Did you already watch the shows before? Oh yeah, I yeah okay. huge huge Star Trek fan from way back. So um, yeah. yeah, so that was so that was how it worked. So I started. So they said, look. You can pitch, uh, you can come in, we can do it over the phone. I ended up doing it over the phone because I was in Wisconsin, but you could do it over the phone or you could go into Paramount Studios in LA and do it in person. And you can pitch four stories, but you only get four chances. And if if we don't buy any of them, then it's bye-bye. You had your chance. You know, there are lots of people in line behind you. So you got your one chance and that's that. So, you know, the, the stakes were pretty high. So I spent some time working up four story ideas did the pitch uh, over the phone with one of the producers, a guy named Joe Manoski. And um, I pitched my four stories and he passed on all four of them. And I thought, well, that's that. I had my shot. I had my shot at greatness and I, and I didn't make it. Um, but then Joe started saying, okay, Mark, here's what I want you to do next. I want you to, and I was like, uh, excuse me, wait, what? What do you mean next? I thought I only got one shot. And he said, well, Normally, a writer only gets one shot, but he said, I really like your ideas, so I want you to try again. So I just thought, man, if you invite me back, I'm coming back. So I spent a couple more months, came up with four more stories. Same thing happened. They liked them, but they didn't go for any of them. But they said, but try again, try again. So I went through this like six times over like two oh, years. Oh, wow. <laughs> They, but they just kept inviting me back. What am I going to do? Of course, I'm going to come back and try again. God. I mean, if you, like, if you like the way someone writes, you like the way they write. It's just they, it, the story may not have fit their shit. But yeah, exactly. Like the way you write, they like, they like the way you write. Shit. And, and, and one thing they told me a couple of times was, oh, my God, we have a story deal just like this. And yours is so much better than the one we're doing. But we're already stuck with the one we're doing. So that was, that was kind of a nice compliment. So finally, finally what happened was, so I, I, I pitched again to, to Brandon Braga. This was like my fifth or sixth time pitching. Pitched to Brandon Braga. He really liked one of my ideas. And he said, well, let me take it upstairs and we'll see what happens. Two weeks later, I get this panicky phone call from Brandon Braga saying, Mark, we've got this huge crisis here. He's like, my boss just threw out the script we were going to shoot next week. We need a new script in like 48 hours. Well, we want to use this idea that you pitched to me last, you know, last week. And I was like, okay, let's do it. And he said, he said, but here's the catch. Here's the catch. He said, because we only have 48 hours, we can't hire you to actually develop the story and write the script because it, you'd never be able to do it in 48 hours. And we would never want to put you in that situation where you were basically doomed to die. And I was like, okay, I appreciate that. So basically they bought, and this was for Next Generation, they bought one sentence. They bought my pitch line for $1,750, which word for word is probably the best I've ever been paid for my writing. <laughs> um, so they bought this story idea and then Brannon wrote the script in 48 hours. And because of Writers Guild rules, I didn't get my name in the credits. So this is the episode nobody knows I had anything to do with. It was, it's called Timescape. It was a season, I can't remember, season six or seven on Next Generation. So it was my story concept, but I don't get screen credit for it because the Writers Guild doesn't really have a category for story concept. So I got paid, but I didn't get the credit. But at the time, Brandon said, if you play ball with us, I guarantee you'll get another shot. 
So sure enough, like six weeks later, I sold a story to Deep Space Nine. That became the episode Second Sight. I did the story. I did the script. But back to your question. You see, I told you guys I can talk a lot. So I, you know, I hope, I hope you're okay. Um, so, so, so for the next one, Second Sight, and it was the same thing. I, I pitched four story ideas to one of the producers on Deep Space Nine. And DS9 was still a pretty, pretty new show at this time. Um, so I pitched four stories. They really liked one of them. They bought the story. But basically, when I pitch a story to them, it's like three pages long, okay? Maybe, maybe more than that, depends. But it's basically three, three or four pages long where you just basically flesh out the major beats of the story. And so they went for that, and they said, okay, we want to hire you to write the story. So what that means is basically they want to take that initial document of mine and they want me to expand it into like a 10 or 15 or 20 page treatment because I have at that point I have to convince the producers that there's really 60 minutes worth of good story to tell from my initial concept so then I'd go to work and I'd write this flesh out this story and submit that to them and then if they liked what I had done there then they would hire me to actually write the script Okay, so that's the final step. So then, so that's what happened with Second Sight. They hired me to write the script, which meant that at that point I flew out to LA, uh, uh, worked at Paramount Studios for, I don't know, usually it was like three or four or five days. And at that point, it's like, you're sitting in a room with all the writers and producers for like eight hours and there's a huge dry erase board up in the room and an intern with a, with a marker <laughs> and basically we're just it's they call it breaking the story so they take that story document that they just bought from me and we say okay act one scene one what has to happen here and we we lay out which characters are in this scene what's happening to them in this scene what are they talking about in this scene and how does this scene like move the plot along and then we do that for scene one and then we do that again for scene two and then we do that again for scene three and then again for scene four and it takes us literally like three or four or five days to get through this whole thing until we've got like five acts on this dry erase board crammed in everywhere and at that point they send me home you know back to wisconsin and i have two weeks to write like a 45 page script out of that out of that story uh, outline out of that beat outline so and that's when the pressure is really on because it's like i've got a day job i'm a dad i've got oh, kids yeah. i've got <laughs> shit going on how, how long did it take you to get from the first contact where you wrote the four ones they didn't buy the first mm -hmm. time to actually be in there how much time to actually get into, to go into la and they wanted you to be in the room uh, with other people how, how was, like, roughly how long in between it was probably about two and a half years Wow. So stick to stick to itiveness. Yeah. <laughs> it it really applies. So yeah, so that's so that's how it all happened. So um and then in the case of that first episode, Second Sight, so I I write the script uh, you know, in two weeks and submit that to them. And at that point, the the producer staff and the showrunner, it's pretty much guaranteed that no matter how good a job you did with your script. It's going to get rewritten to some degree or another. I got to punch it up. I hate right, that. Right, by the showrunner. And at one point, and the the showrunner was this guy, Ira Stephen Bear, who was just a hilarious guy. I loved working with Ira. The guy just cracked me up. He, was, he had this deadpan sense of humor that just always got me. 
And at one point I just said, okay, Ira, explain something to me. So I'm going to go home. I'm going to spend the next two weeks writing a script. If the script sucks, you're going to rewrite it. But if you love the script, you're going to rewrite it. <laughs> I, said, I said, so what's the difference? Why should I bother sending you a new script? Or, or a good, a, you know, why should I bother sending you a good script? And he got kind of thoughtful and he said, well, that's Holly weird, Mark. He said, <laughs> he said, we just want you to get it to the 50 yard line. If you can get it to the 50 yard line, we'll take it the rest of the way. So I was like, okay, 50 yard line. <laughs> that's what I'll shoot for. You know, so I ended up doing a few more episodes and that's basically, I guess I hit the 50 yard line. But the, the final episode I did is the one I'm actually, actually proudest of, Who Mourns for Mourn. Who Mourns for It's Mourn. so good. It Wait, is thanks. so good. <laughs> I, I was a huge Deep Space Nine fan. I remember Kelly used to make fun of me. You remember you used to talk about me. I loved that damn show. <laughs> like, well, I love it now. Like I went and I, I watched the four episodes and then I'm like, well, now I have to watch all of it because <laughs> I started, you know, with your episode, the second site in the second season. And uh -huh. the first thing was the, the Lieutenant Dax. I was like, did that used to be a man? What's going on here? <laughs> so then I had to go back. <laughs> I had to go back and figure out what happened there. And now I'm like, obsessed with Odo and I'm like does he find his people don't spoil it for me I'll, I'll <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh Odo that's the shapeshifter no no yeah yeah, yeah okay <laughs> I have a no, no, there, there will be no spoilers because I do not know enough about deep space and I just spoil because you were mean to me you used to make fun <laughs> the great I, thing I mean, the great thing about Odo sister. was that he would like yeah FYI yeah liquid in a bucket at night when he went to bed this yeah. one and that one yeah are me sisters. and Kelly are sisters <laughs> yes aha uh -huh, okay <laughs> and then yeah yeah Matt is Kelly's husband and I am her husband so yes. we're all Related, nice. technically. Yeah. You guys are you guys are so lucky that all four of you share all this geekiness. I love I it. I know, right? We're the it's it's a beautiful ever. thing. It's a really a beautiful thing. Yeah. I love it. I, I have always been a fan of Star Trek and Deep Space Nine, Next Generation, all of it. You know, I'm a fan. I wasn't a cool. fan of the original. And, I mean, I, I've watched them, you know, and I've seen it on the mm -hmm. background. I'll be like, oh, okay, I just never did get into the original. Yeah. Whenever I, everybody else was first telling me that we had set up this interview with you, they're like, yeah, he wrote this book about some doctor that studies UFOs. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. I'll do a little research. And I'm like, why did nobody tell me you wrote episodes of Star Trek? I love that show. <laughs> and they're, and they're like, oh, yeah, he did that too. What's um, really? Yeah. Oh, and sorry. We're, we're real bad at getting shit together. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen us like before I sent you the link, like 15 minutes before that. They were still uh -huh. Out how to work with their audio they're actually in the same house but in different rooms right yeah. we, we couldn't be in the same room <laughs> that's awesome but i told you this is the first time we haven't all been together so uh-huh i think you're making it work yeah i, think you're right. <laughs> I hope so i think we're doing good things <laughs> we try well one one great thing about deep space nine is like lately just within the last year or two deep space nine is getting all the love man people are People are going back and rewatching it and saying, "Hey, this show's a lot a lot better than I remembered it." It's getting like the critical reappraisal. People did are, it like just now get put on Netflix or whatever, or has it always been there? And just for some reason, people it, all of a sudden are out of shit to watch. I'm I'm not sure. It's popped up here and there over the years. Um, I still get residuals from my episodes, so I know it's showing somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Star Trek lasts forever. That's if you write so a Star cool. Trek script, you're gonna get you're gonna make money off of it for the rest of your life, basically. Which I'm very it's, grateful. Unless for. it's one of the couple of new ones they made, which are horrible. 
with Scott, Bac- Scott Bakula was okay. I actually uh-huh. liked it. Everything after that. Scott Bakula, the um, Quantum Leap. The yeah, quantum that guy. Leap. He was the captain on one of the ones from about eight years ago or so. Yeah, like- Star Trek Enterprise, right? Yeah. And then I actually, tell you, a lot of people didn't like Star Trek uh, Voyager. Voyager. Captain Janeway. Yeah. I loved Voyager. Oh! I love Next Generation. I like that one. And uh-huh. I like the original. But I, I like I like Voyager, but my favorite from your from Next Generation is Q. Q is my favorite character, <laughs> just because like it opens up with him. Hey, mankind, you're under watch. I'm gonna see what happens, and if you uh-huh. up, you're fucked. And at the end, of the very last episode, he's like, "Eh, I might let you live. Maybe you'll get better later." And John Luke Picard is like, "What does that mean?" And he's like, "You might find out. Maybe not." And up in deep space nine, but you never know what he's gonna do. He's just yeah. It's like trying to guess what a god's gonna do. I don't know. Pretty much, I can tell you a funny story about that actor. So I that, love him. I love Scott the Bacula? actor as Q. No, Q is not the the so the actor who played Q was John Delancey. So for people who didn't know, Q was this like all powerful super being who basically loved to fuck with Captain Picard's mind, right? Is that a good description? Very, very good. Um, so I, I did a, I, I was a panelist at a Star Trek convention once back in, back in the 90s. And John Delancey, that actor, was sitting next to me on stage on the panel. And I was kind of excited. This is the first time I had ever done anything like this. And I, you know, I was expecting like all sorts of like really hardcore you know questions from the people in the audience and they didn't disappoint me people had a lot of really really i mean people who just know everything about star trek they would come up with just these amazing questions and every once in a while somebody would ask me a question and i would start to answer i'd be like well and john delancey would just like butt in and make some stupid joke which the audience just ate up and i'd be like what the fuck? I, they asked me that question. Let me answer it. And it happened like three times. And every time I was just like, Jesus, would you shut up and let me answer that? And then it finally, and then finally a light bulb went off and I was like, Oh, this is what the people want. He's just given the audience what they want. The audience wants to hear John Delancey making jokes and cutting other people off this is the whole act and then after that i just totally loosened up and i was like okay john you just take it from here man it was a it was a really interesting that is hilarious speaking of conventions i know don't they they have like ufo slash um conventions do you go to those i've been to a couple and mostly they were when i was like in the early stages of researching well, the early stages of writing my blog and then the early stages of researching my uh, my Heineck book. And those conventions are, those are really, those are really, I don't even know the word. <laughs> is fun uh, the word uh, you're looking for? No. Probably not. We, we, I love conventions. We, 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 we go to one called Mad Monster Party, which is a horror movie convention. Oh, that sounds so, like a blast. Yeah, every year, I, like I've, I've met everybody exactly. from Pinhead to George <laughs> Romero. I got a picture with Malcolm McDowell and from we the went Clockwork to a Orange. Wow. Convention one time got yeah. tattoos. Oh, wait, a what convention? Tattoo. <laughs> it, was, it was a tattoo movie convention. We got a tattoo and got to see Victor Crowley, the Hatchet sequel. We were excited about it. We got it. to see wow. it. 
as it premiered in a, in a tiny little mentions. theater that maybe held 50 people with the director. <laughs> he, he, he watched it, answered questions afterwards and everything. It was, it was a great. dinner theater, which I've never yeah, actually been to. Wow. I love stuff happened. like that. That sounds like a riot. And then there's it like a great. big off screen. It's fucking weird, but it's funny <laughs> shit. But so, <laughs> the UFO conventions or whatever, not fun, crazy. Well, I would guess. Here's the thing. I, you know, back in the early days when I started my blog and I started working on my book, I kind of had this dream of, wow, maybe someday I'll be invited to be a speaker at some of these conventions. And then as I got a little more familiar with the whole world of UFO research and, and these UFO conventions, I kind of realized like, yeah, maybe, I'm, uh, maybe it's okay that they don't ask me. They're a little bit part, of it, part of it is just because I have some opinions about UFOs that aren't really popular with other UFO people, so they don't really want me. I mean, I've, I gave a talk at a UFO convention in Michigan a couple of years ago. It was to mark the 50th anniversary of the swamp gas, the infamous swamp gas case, which we just covered in an episode of UFO Witness. And I get, I, you know, I was invited there by the the Michigan, the head of Michigan MUFON, and it was, you know, it was a real friendly crowd, very big crowd. It was really fun to be there. But I got up to give my talk, and in my talk, basically, I said, yeah, Heineck was actually right to say swamp gas in this case. And I just looked out in the audience, and there were all these faces like... Did you get booed off the stage? <laughs> people were... Some some people were really not happy with me saying that, because it really... Because everybody believes that Heineck, like caved under pressure to the from the air force to say swamp gas and i'm kind of like well that was actually the only thing he could have said if you look at the whole case from beginning to end so you know i sometimes i say and i'm, I'm also i've also been kind of like uh dismissive of the whole roswell thing in my blog and a lot of people know that so it's like i'm never going to get invited to these conventions <laughs> well if i ever get rich enough to have a ufo convention you can come talk well <laughs> all right i want to bank on that i appreciate that do you think roswell was actually a weather balloon or something different that's not an alien but more advanced they didn't want to say i think that it's possible that something really amazing happened in roswell but the case has been so contaminated and corrupted by a whole bunch of con artists and and hoaxers that it's just impossible to know anymore. You know, one of the, and I can give you an example. Um, I won't name any names, but there were some certain Roswell investigators who were getting, they were getting um, official Air Force documents from 1947 from the Roswell Army Air Base that were, you know, that proved that all this stuff happened. And this source was feeding these documents to these UFO researchers that I know and the ufo researchers were just you know they were just like oh my god this is like this is the smoking gun this is like an actual document from roswell base 1947 that proves that the whole you know the whole alien story is true well it turned out that the guy sending these documents the 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 researchers started to get a little suspicious so they flew out to roswell this guy lived in roswell the guy supplying the documents so these researchers fly out to Roswell and visit after this, after the guy died, the guy who was supplying the documents, they stop in and visit his widow and they say, Hey, can we take a look at your, you know, your husband's files, you know, cause we've been sharing a lot of info with him and we just want to make sure we haven't missed anything, blah, blah, blah. So they go into the guy's office and guess what they find? They find 
that there is a vintage 1947 typewriter and there's a whole bunch of leftover official Roswell Air Base stationery because it turns out this guy used to work at the Roswell Air Base. So he, he just sort of, you know, he made off apparently with a bunch of letterhead stationery. So he was taping up, typing up these documents on his antique typewriter and sending them to these guys in Chicago and passing them off as authentic. Oh man. I mean, that's the kind of thing that has completely messed up this Roswell thing because people, stories like that just make it impossible to believe anything. And so, so the guy, the guy with the antique typewriter, guess what his day job was? What? You'll never believe it. He was the president of the Roswell area, uh, Roswell area chamber of commerce. So do you oh. think maybe he had a reason to keep that story alive? Right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> maybe. Oh, man. Yeah, it's crazy. So stuff like that, I think there's so much stuff like that surrounding Roswell. Yeah. That it's just hard to know. Plus, the thing that always bugs me is like there were like 11 different landings or crash sites identified. And depending on which story you believe, it either happened on July 3rd or 4th or 5th or 6th or 7th. And depending on which story you read, there were no alien bodies found or there was one alien body found and it was dead or it was alive in another version or in another version there were four aliens found and they were all dead but in another version one of them was still alive yeah. you know it's like come on what am i supposed to believe that's that's my issue with roswell it's just mm -hmm. a big mess if we could go back in time and just start that whole thing over again i think maybe we'd understand something well you guys really got me talking here Oh no, you're good, man. Because I was about to say, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy people or whatever that you're talking about how they hype it up and stuff like with mm. even with Bigfoot, you know, oh. there's, always, there's always the redneck who finds Bigfoot, but then it's like a dead deer or whatever. <laughs> there actually are people who think the government pays people to fake it, to make it look fake so people won't believe in it anymore. oh yeah yeah no i yeah. think there's something to that yeah <clears throat> so that I could totally be a thing like <laughs> yeah no i think there's something to that in fact i i experienced that with my when i was working for mufon so they end up looking stupid and and people just are like yeah screw that ufo stories they're a bunch of crap and just a little bit you know that i've seen always the news clips i mean everybody who has been on the news has been abducted the ones that you see <laughs> It's always some dumb redneck. I mean, it's they always oh. pit, it's like they do it on purpose. So, if aliens are real, mm -hmm. what would the government's reason be for not wanting us to know? Well, see, what I approach. I mean, what does see, it matter? I, see, I approach that question completely differently. I don't think it's up to the government to tell us. I think if anybody's going to tell us anything, it's going to be the aliens. Well, they hold all the cards. They're not going to like. They're not going to trust the United States government to reveal their presence on it. They're going to do it themselves. Well, yeah, they will because take me to your leader. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Anything else would just be bullshit. You know, but, they're, well, they're not. If a, if a spaceship landed like in the middle of downtown New York right now, um, you know, people would be out there with their cell phones and shit, but I think oh, that yeah. like, Verizon would have a problem and everybody's service would go down. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what no, I mean? I, I had an idea once that it would be really cool if we could get everybody on the entire earth to look straight up and take a picture on their phone and, and mesh all those figures 
pictures together from all around the world, we'd have to see something in that gigantic image that didn't belong there. That is a good fucking idea. We can make that well, happen. Yeah, that, that's a really yeah, good you concept. Think? I don't know. I don't think we can make it happen. I, I, good. <laughs> we, we have enough. We have enough listeners. <laughs> we're award-winning. Well, we're maybe, award-winning all right. Maybe, maybe we should work on that. All right. <laughs> we can make a hashtag, like sure. a uh, alien, alien hashtag alien picture. Fuck off! Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think hashtag phone to the sky. Hashtag phone to the sky. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. All right, I'll think about it. I think the, the modernization of cell phones is why we don't have sightings as much anymore. Because but, if if you go out and say I saw aliens or I saw a spaceship land in the backyard, everybody's going to say, "Well, why didn't you take your phone out yeah. and snap a picture? Where, where's your evidence?" Yeah. Back in bring- the day, that didn't exist, so. I think that's a really good point because what, to me, my personal opinion, photographs of UFOs pretty much always just suck. Oh, yeah. Especially photos taken on cell phones. They're terrible. So scratch my idea of everybody pointing up in the sky (laughs) because it's it's a terrible idea. Some phones have really good cameras now. (laughs) I know, but but if it's just like a bright light in a black background, it's like, well, what the hell is that? That doesn't do anything. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think like in my book for for pictures in my book i decided i didn't want to show any pictures of ufos because they're generally awful so i stuck with um pictures drawn by the witness of the ufos the most of the illustrations in my my book are are pictures drawn by the witness or drawn by someone who you know went by the witness's testimony um because i think those drawings are a lot more authentic than photographs i think they show more um, than a photograph does. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Yeah, uh, a lot of times, you know, the the photographs you look at it and be like, well, that could be like a bug on the. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And when you're when you're doing the MUFON stuff, the things people submit as photographs of things are just like, seriously, you're 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 claiming that's a UFO? Come on. <laughs> I mean, the radio signal that they couldn't figure out what it was for two years. At whatever observatory, it was a microwave they used periodically. To heat up their <laughs> oh, yeah. Lunches. Yeah, they didn't know what yeah. they know it was, but every now and then they'd get this thing and they could not figure it out. And two years later, somebody realized at the same time it was happening. Two years it took time. Somebody's microwave and a burrito. It's <laughs> causing problems with things that detect microwave radiation from space. This is where the our burrito incident. That's, really that's where our tax dollars go. <laughs> Have you applied at Space Force? Yeah. <laughs> How do you feel about space? I, I don't think they're looking for anybody like me on Space and Force. But they might space need a historian. Is Space Force still going to be a thing since Donald Trump is gone? Is Biden that's, gonna that that's down? a good question. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't heard yeah. anything. I haven't heard anything about it. I think it's probably low priority. But he may not. Yeah. I think they should keep Space Force. It sounds fun. Right? It's got to be the easiest job in the world. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. I would like to be... We can make the first spaceport. I'll be the goddamn lunch lady for space. We can make the, the first spaceport guy can be whoever's on the uh, space station right now. He can be the first one, or she can be the first. Yeah, one. that would work. It would. All right. So, what do you think about Area Fifty One? I've Mom been there. Us to ask you this. Okay, I think Area Fifty One is pretty cool. I've been there. 
when I, I mean, I haven't gotten into it, but um, like, <laughs> did you go to the raid, the the Twitter, everybody raid area fifty one? Did you go to that? No, but that pisses me off because I pro I proposed a million person march on area fifty one like ten years ago when I first started my blog, and I got totally I had like six people sign up, so we never could do it. Because, and, the, and the logic is, well, they can't shoot us all, right? So, <laughs> um. But I, I, about 15 years ago, I was I was in Las Vegas for my day job at the time in publishing, and I just kind of took a day off and drove to Rachel, Nevada, which is the little town right outside of Area 51. And there's a little dirt road leading off the main highway that you take to Area 51. You drive through the dirt on this little dirt road for like five miles or so, and then you come across a fence. And there's a gate across the road and there are all these signs saying, you know, stay away. Trespassers will be shot. You know, we're going to get you. Don't even think about coming in here. And, you know, so you sit there in your car reading these signs. And then I happened to have my girlfriend at the time happened to be with me. And we noticed there was like a, a hill over to the right. And there's this black pickup truck parked at the top of the hill pointed direct headlights shining i mean we were during the day but it had its headlights on the trucks pointed directly at us so we knew they were watching us and i took a couple of pictures from inside the car and we just left which is like okay we don't want any trouble and my girlfriend at the time was like mark delete those photos like, <laughs> what are you talking about she goes delete the photos she goes don't you see those guys in the truck because there was actually like a dirt road from where the truck was that led directly down the hill, like right to where we were parked. So if they wanted to stop us, all they had to do was like, put it in drive, haul down the hill and they'd have us blocked in there. So she was just like, Mark, for God's sake, delete the photos. What year was this? This was, I don't know, early nine or early aughts, probably 2000. Cause I want to say, I know uh, 20 ish years before that in the eighties, you used to be able to get up to a mountain Oh. For a hill that was high oh, enough yeah, to yeah. down uh -huh. the bases and actually take pictures. The government found out about it because there's no internet, but they found out uh -huh. somehow somebody did a book or something about it and uh -huh. bought up land for like 50 miles or something. So you can get <laughs> nowhere near even close enough to take a picture. Uh -huh. I didn't know and if that. you do, they're <clears throat> on a hill pointing fucking headlights at you. Yeah. You used, <laughs> yeah, used to be able to get close enough, well. close enough to take a picture with a telephoto lens. Now, exactly the well the, yeah so i deleted all the photos but one and i never i, ne I never told my girlfriend that i kept one of the photos. <laughs> i knew that wouldn't go over to him but years later though years later i was talking to my uncle bob and he had been and he said well you know i was stationed at area 51 not bob lazar in the early 1950s and he just said he just kind of shook it he said he just said mark there are no ufos there and i was like well I mean, that's what they think. That's what they want you to think, of course. But he was like, no, 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 no. Trust me. There are no UFOs there. But then he went on to tell me, then he went on to tell me what they did on their days off at, at Area 51. He's like, on our days off, we'd go watch the A-bomb tests. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, we'd, dr we'd drive off into the desert where they were doing the A-bomb test firings. And, you know, we'd see the mushroom clouds and shit. And, you know, we saw all that stuff. And I was like, you did that on your day off? You exposed <laughs> yourself to radiation on your day off? I don't know. If I had the chance to go I was just, that, I I was just thinking that. I, I was <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, back then they didn't know how dangerous it was. So yeah, yeah. I probably would have Well, gone. even knowing how dangerous, like I, I still want to go to Chernobyl. I don't give a oh. shit. I want to go to fucking Chernobyl. That would be cool. I want to take pictures. That would <laughs> yep. be cool. Yeah. But me and Kelly actually have ties to Area 51. Really? Through a relative. I'm not going to say any names or whatever. But the only story that we have ever been told is that um, if you ask him anything, he will not say yes or no. Uh, all, he will say, all he will say is, I'm not allowed to talk about that. Uh, and that makes, because it, it you know, if I worked there and there were no aliens and somebody asked me if there were aliens, I'd be like, motherfucker, no, there ain't no goddamn aliens. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, just straight face, I'm not allowed to talk about that. And then that's it. Conversation over. Uh, don't ask him anything. But else. things like that make it more interesting because then yeah, you, you don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> might just be fucking with Yeah, I, I know. You're right. I mean, that's a really good humor. That's a really good point. It's like, if they want us to lose interest in it, why do they say shit like that? Yeah. Which is just guaranteed to make us want to know more. Because yeah. everything is at Area 52. <laughs> where, where is that at? Oh, Who knows? Um, actually, oh. I do have a question. I don't know if any of y'all know. My mama texted me when she told us to ask you about Area 51. She said she had seen on the news or read online or something that now they're saying like 50 miles away from Area 51, there's somewhere else that something's going on. Does anybody know mm. what I'm talking about? I didn't know what she was talking about, and I didn't bother to research. Does anybody know what I'm Well, about? is that Dulce Base? I, I don't know. Is, is that something going on there? Yeah, Tell Dulce us about Air it. Yeah, Dulce Air Force Base always <laughs> has some crazy shit going on. Is that close yeah. to Area 51? I, I, yeah, I'm not sure. Isn't it I'm like north, sure, but northwest or she, something? She maybe? said it was close to there, but she thinks something's going I don't know. I don't really do the news and stuff. <laughs> well, Dulce Base is down there in the southwest USA somewhere. There's also a testing ground in Utah, and we we actually we actually look at some of this stuff in the in the TV show in some of the upcoming episodes. Hey, I'm gonna have to download. It's this thing. Can I get that on my phone? So I can what the episodes? The yeah, Discovery the, Plus. If you have Discovery Plus, you can do it on your phone, your laptop, whatever. In Utah, don't they test like airplanes and shit in Utah because it's like flat and very not windy? Yeah, yeah, I think that's the deal. Yeah, so there are a couple areas out there that are kind of weird and mysterious. But yeah, Dulce, Dulce Base is supposedly like this underground city where we, where all the aliens live, the aliens that our government is secretly working with. <laughs> and none of the different alien species get along, so they all have to be kept like, like the alien greys are on level two, and <laughs> the reptoids are on level three, and the praying mantises are on level four. Oh, I love praying mantises. They should <laughs> you gotta love the praying mantises. Have you visited the, the Georgia Godstones? Since visited you're in Georgia? what? Georgia Godstones. You're in Georgia. No, you, no. I, we just moved here three months ago. Where is it? Oh, uh, I'm not. He can look it up right now. I'm, I'm gonna look up the it's city. It's great. It's, it's like, not far from us, so it's probably about the same distance from you. Whoa! I want to see that. It, it's neat. It's uh -huh. a lot smaller than I was expecting. Mm -hmm. um because you know like do you you know what it is right no okay. i don't know anything about it is oh it like God. stonehenge uh, they they are in elberton georgia which is not far from you yeah okay. the uh. georgia guidestones is this monument that's just on the side of the road across from a thing i'm gonna show you just a picture real quick this is what the monument whoa three big stone things they don't know who built it but and it just has a bunch of rules for like what happens after a disaster. Well, and it talks about how you have to get the population down to a certain size. I mean, it's fucking weird. And it's translated in like five different languages. Yeah, every one that. of the things has a different language every and size. And then there's a uh -huh. place where you can stand and at a certain time, the, 
sun comes through or some shit like i don't know there's all kind of shit there wow. but it's a lot smaller than you would think <laughs> but uh-huh. we went it's pretty neat it's i gotta see that for a day. if you're I'll close go. to it absolutely go and i mean i'm gonna go the road, you don't have to pay to get in or anything you just i'm walk. definitely gonna go that sounds like we fun. should do an episode on it and you should come back and we'll talk about it it reminds yeah. me of those obelisks that have been showing up all over the place i was yes. gonna ask you about Last that absolutely yeah. i was super excited for the first one and uh-huh. then when more started popping up i was like oh, this is some bullshit <laughs> well it became kind of a running joke right didn't what was the one that somebody made a, an obelisk made out of some kind of food showed up or what well, I gotta oh no it. i don't know about that one <laughs> it was it like, that's hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> it sort of becomes sort of self-parody at some point but i yeah it's kind of intriguing i thought I it was to. neat and then those idiots went and took that one down because they were like oh yeah stop fucking with nature that's not what they said but it was stop fucking with nature <laughs> <laughs> nature apparently you have to try real hard to get there and the only uh, reason all the other people could find it was because of reddit <laughs> god damn reddit. <laughs> <laughs> reddit's the worst <laughs> i don't know reddit made up for everything with their wall street bets <laughs> screwing over all the rich billionaires uh, what was that yesterday? yeah that, that feels kind of good yeah. doesn't it hey everybody shorted gamestop let's buy all of it and don't sell that was my okay that was and my then everybody's day. going Oh my God! What are we gonna do? Let's just shut down everything. No, hold on. The funniest thing. How are they allowed us to shut down trading? That's insane. That's the the whole episode. (laughs) The funniest part of the whole fucking day. Ja Rule tweeted about it, and then everybody's like, "Hey, y'all! Ja Rule knows a scam when he sees one." (laughs) (laughs) Firefest. Yep. We got way off track. Yeah, we're we're, we're, we're supposed to be talking about UFOs or something. Yeah, we're supposed to be talking about UFOs. I was actually wanting to know what you think about Antarctica. What the hell's going on there? Oh, well, okay. This will be my last question. All right. right. Um, I actually, I actually went to Antarctica five years ago. My, uh, my dad, my dad's a world traveler and he had been to all the continents except Antarctica. And so for his 90th birthday, he booked an Antarctic cruise with me and a bunch of my brothers and sisters. A whole, so it was like a whole family trip. And we took an Antarctic cruise. And believe me, I had my eyes peeled for secret bases down there. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't see shit. I saw lots and lots of snow and ice <laughs> and icebergs and penguins. But I, I never saw anything like... like no buildings, no nothing? No, nothing. But, you know, there's a whole lot of space down there where they could hide shit. I'm not it, kidding. They let you get off the ship and walk on the ice and everything, though, right? That's, that's part well, of- we didn't walk on the ice. But it was, oh. was kind of funny. They, we were there for like... We were kind of cruising around Antarctica for about four days. And we had like seven or eight stops where we where we got off the ship and got onto land and most of it was islands but on our very last landfall was actually on the continent itself so we had, so my dad got his dream come true he got to be on the seventh continent uh, and of course we have all sorts of pictures of that which is really cool um but no uh, believe me i love the antarctic stories and and that place is it's so huge it's so like mind-bogglingly huge there could be anything hidden in Antarctica and well, we would you, never know it. What do you think about, um, you know, cause if you try to look at it on Google maps, there's parts that you can obviously tell they've photoshopped some shit over. Like, what do you think about that? You think Wait, you can find places where they've what? Like Photoshop. Like if you look at Google, is oh. it it's, like, it's like it's blurred over. Like, you know, they used to blur oh, over yeah. Vladimir Putin's mansion. They mm-hmm. just released it oh, yesterday. I didn't know yeah. Cause that. his mansion's worth like <laughs> $70 million. So, it's ridiculous. Uh-huh. 
They just released the okay. shit yesterday. Yeah, so. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's secure places in Antarctica. I actually knew a guy in Wisconsin who did some engineering work in Antarctica every year. And he was working on, you know, some government project. They were all like high energy physics experiments that he was working on, which is also kind of fascinating because that's like the nature of reality they're dealing with. Um, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, that there are secure places on Antarctica that they don't want anyone to see, that they would blot out on, on Google Earth. That doesn't surprise me I at all. I actually didn't know that you could take a cruise or whatever to Antarctica. I have always heard yeah. that nobody can go to Antarctica. That's what I've yeah, always you, heard. You just have to have a special. You can go to Antarctica. Well, what they did was they flew us down to like the southern tip of South America to Tierra del Fuego. And then we get on a cruise ship there, and then it's about a two-day cruise to get to Antarctica. Damn. And those that two days, you're going through what they call, it's called the Drake Passage. It's the roughest seas on Earth. Yeah. No, so for two days, you're just like, oh, no way. getting seasick, <laughs> and it's it's really it's really a rough ride for two days. Then you get to Antarctica, and it's like everything is calm and beautiful. and um yeah, so I mean, there are a lot of rules. Like, there's a, there's an international treaty. Like, we can't go. There's wildlife everywhere. There's penguins. There's seals, but we couldn't go like closer than 15 feet to any any animal that we saw there. If they come closer than 15 feet, that's fine because that's them. But you can't do it. So, um, so yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I I ended up feeling like the two coolest things in the world are penguins and icebergs. I love penguins anyway. They're just yeah. penguins, are, penguins are so cool. They look so dumb on land. And then they jump into the water and they're like fucking torpedoes. It's incredible to see them in action. Well, I like the whole thing with the rocks. Like they take rocks to the, yeah. to the girls that they like. And they're like, hey, what do you think about this rock? <laughs> like, I love it so much. Yeah, it's a real aphrodisiac for a penguin, I guess. <laughs> a rock. <laughs> All right, well, you said that was your last question. So does that mean you got to go? Yeah, I gotta go, but thanks for having me on. This has been really fun. This Thank is you. Uh, it was so much and, fun. And I'm just reaching the end of my drink, so it's time for a refill. Um, yeah. if you wanna, per perfect timing. Do you want to shout yourself out again? If you want to tell people your Twitter, your oh Facebook, sure, whatever to find you, go ahead. Um, my Twitter is at Mark O'Connell underscore one, and that's O'Connell with O C O N N E L L, two N's and two L's. My blog is HighStrangenessUFO.com. Um, and the show is UFO Witness on Discovery Plus streaming service. So go watch it. I will definitely be watching it. And All right, cool. Yeah, thank it's you worth so the much watch. for coming. That was amazing. This it has been so really fun. fun. Um, I appreciate I will... it, you guys. Oh, since cool. we didn't do it at the beginning, this is Drunk Theory with... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Matt. No, no, we didn't name everybody. Oh, you Matt, did. You did. Kelly, yeah. Kara, Ryan, <laughs> and Mr. Mark O'Connell, who is awesome. And if I find the episode of Dick Cavett, I promise oh, you I will send it. Yes, please let me know. I'll be looking for it in the next 20 minutes. That's what I we'll be doing you. the whole rest of the night. All right, excellent. Can, I can't I can wait. Find. All right, thanks, you guys. <laughs> it was really night. fun. Have a good Thank night. You. Thank you so much. Oh, that was so fun. Yeah, oh, he's, super, fun. he's super nice. He is. He's my new fucking favorite. We got anybody we need to shout out or anything before I stop recording? Uh, think... Oh, uh, Mama, we love you. Remember she got Jeannie. Aunt Jeannie, Aunt Jeannie, we love you. Ryan, you got anybody you want to shout out? <laughs> Your uh, perfect wife. <laughs> no, you didn't shout me out. Oh, yeah, I know. Drunk, 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 drunk